Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Wow, I mean that is quite an opening to a book, isn't it? And that's how Mark opens his gospel, and so that's how we're going to open our podcast on Mark's gospel. Yeah, and we we've bitten off fifteen verses to chew for, to start us off, and um, it seems like lots of different things that you could say. There's lots of characters, lots of statements. Um, one of the things I think that helps as we're approaching a passage like that is to see sometimes the bookends either end orient you to the big idea and um, both uh, at the beginning we have this uh, mention of a gospel good news and then at the end we have uh, Jesus proclaiming the gospel of God repent and believe in the gospel so whatever this is about it's about good news and I think specifically it's good news about Jesus Christ which is the anointed king and we get that at the other end of the passage as well. The kingdom of God is at hand. So what, whatever we find in the middle, I expect it will be something to do with, isn't it good news that Jesus is king? And it's interesting that you go to structure straight away. I and mean, we often do that when we come to a passage just to try and get our heads around it. But I think in Mark's gospel, it's particularly important because uh, some of the gospel writers like John, you know, will have long um comments or, or you know, long speeches by Jesus explaining theology. Um, sometimes Matthew will say, you know, this is a quote from this bit of the Bible. And um, Mark usually makes his point just by what he puts together and he lets you infer what's the common theme to these five incidents. So like looking out for what he's juxtaposed, what he's left out, what he's included, what he's put side by side is going to be quite important to his point in general. Yeah. And um, he, there's a whole range of witnesses even before Jesus steps onto the stage um, we get this wonderful um, uh, kind of sequence of people getting us ready for his arrival and there's a series of voices so there's a, an Old Testament prophetic voice there's the John the Baptist voice there's uh, God's own voice from heaven um, there's Jesus testimony about himself and so on so should we um why don't we hit the voices in order Andrew do you want to kick us off well it's quite it's quite a surprising beginning because he doesn't actually begin with Jesus he begins with John the Baptist and it's kind of hard for us to get our head run because we think surely this is going to be the the book about Jesus and well it is but John the Baptist in the first century was a very very famous man and at the beginning he was much more well known than Jesus was and we know that from you know the Jewish historian Josephus talks about these huge crowds that went out to John the Baptist and actually that's where Mark begins and he wants us not to understand who Jesus is but the first stages understand who John the Baptist is and if you understand who he is then you're going to understand who his successor Jesus is so we're actually starting one stage back and this quote from Isaiah actually it's from Isaiah and from Malachi and I think Mark knows that he's not trying to pull a fast one but he introduces the first bit of the quote um, from Isaiah the prophet. Maybe that's because he, he wants us particularly to be thinking about Isaiah all the way through the gospel. It's going to be his go-to Old Testament book. But also because this idea of the gospel comes from Isaiah chapter 40. This is the Old Testament place where the good news is announced. So he, he begins there and then he adds to it a quote from Malachi. 
And they're both quotes about John the Baptist. So, behold, I'll send my messenger before your face. He will prepare your way. That messenger is John the Baptist. And then from, um, uh, sorry, that's in Malachi. I've got the long way around. But it's Malachi first, and then it's um, Isaiah 40. Uh, My messenger, that's John the Baptist. And then the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That is Isaiah. And so John the Baptist is the messenger, and John the Baptist is the voice. And Mark kind of proves that by the things he then says about John the Baptist. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, so there aren't many people in the Bible whose lives are predicted before their birth. Um, And it's a short list. Obviously, Jesus gets it a lot, but um, maybe you could name one or two others, Cyrus and so on. But John the Baptist, in two different prophets, um, his ministry is prophesied. And he's, he's a messenger who will prepare your way in Malachi which is interesting because having like Mark's identified uh, John the Baptist as the messenger which um, automatically identifies Jesus as the your way which is the Lord God so because actually the question in Malachi is people saying where is God you know they they think that God doesn't care about the state of society where is the God of justice and the answer is well he's coming but first as a messenger yeah, so the, I think the full quote is, I will send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. And uh, yeah, you think you want God to come and intervene. Do you really? He's going to come. And then, um, yeah, Mark's telling us this Lord who comes to his temple is Jesus. And, and we get exactly the same logic um, with the Isaiah quote. So having identified John as the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way who's he preparing the way for well in Isaiah 40 it's Yahweh so um, the the situation at the time Isaiah is writing to people who are in Babylon they're exiled because of their sin and then this wonderful declaration comes God is coming and he will lead you back as a shepherd carrying the little lambs in his arms and he'll bring you back to the land and so in, in showing us that John is that voice heralding the way it's a really strong statement. I mean, it's it's hard being a Jehovah's Witness because you have to hold um, to Jesus not being God, but you can't get, get two verses in two Mark's <laughs> Gospel without it being a difficult job for you. Um, just a little aside on capital letters, for those who don't know, in, in Greek, there's just one word for Lord, um, kurios, and it means Lord or Master. It's just the normal word for a master of a household. It's also the word for the Lord Jesus. So just one one word for Lord, and it's in, we have it in lowercase in our Bibles. In the Old Testament, there's two words for Lord. There's the word Adonai, which is the word for Master. And then there's the name Yahweh or Jehovah, which is the name for God himself. And our English Bibles make it clear because whenever it's the name Yahweh or Jehovah, they put it in capitals. <clears throat> so when you look up, um, in Mark's Gospel, it's translating the Greeks. There's only one word, so it's in lowercase. When you look up, what is the corresponding Old Testament Hebrew word? It's Lord in capitals, which means it's God's own name. So, yeah, even harder for the Jehovah's Witnesses because he prepares the way for Jehovah or Yahweh, depending on how you pronounce it. Yeah, thank you. And then we get some little details about John, like where he's baptising. Um, do you want to just help us with the significance of that? Yeah, I mean, it's almost like... Um, if you've got the quote in your mind, the next paragraph just shows you how John ticks off everything. So, um, behold, I'll send my messenger, the voice of one crying. 
And so the first thing that Mark tells us about John, you might think, isn't he a baptizer? And he goes, no, no, he's a preacher about baptism. <laughs> so he baptized and proclaimed a baptism, which is a kind of odd way to describe his ministry, except if you want to emphasize he's a voice and he's a messenger. Okay, so he, he baptizes and proclaims a baptism. That's the voice one ticked off. Then um, secondly, we're told that uh, he's uh, in the wilderness, which is the right place for him to be. That's where Isaiah says the voice will cry out. And that's where John's baptizing in the wilderness. And then lastly, this little weird detail about his fashion sense. So he wears a very unusual combo of camel's hair and a leather belt. I think actually people do make very posh jackets out of camel's hair, don't they, today? But I think it's more of a sort of hairy, itchy, scratchy kind of garment. But actually, it's almost like John has gone to the local fancy dress shop and asked whether he can hire the Elijah costume because this is the signature outfit of Elijah. If you want the cross reference, it's 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. Um, Elijah was famous for wearing camel's hair. In fact, he was instantly recognisable by the king of Israel <laughs> when his messenger said, I met this bloke and he was wearing camel's hair. Oh, that'll be Elijah, he says. <clears throat> so um, why Elijah? Well, Malachi, um, that, John's, that Mark's just quoted from, said it's going to be the prophet Elijah who prepares the way. He says that in just a little bit later on after this quote. And so John comes dressed as Elijah in the wilderness, preaching a baptism, being a voice. And then his voice is a voice of preparing the way because he says, after me comes one who's mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptised you with water. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So the first paragraph, it, it's kind of not directly about Jesus at all. It's about John. But once we realise who John the Baptist is, then wow, the one he's preparing for is God himself coming. Yeah. And the um, it makes sense him going out into the wilderness because his message is, um, although physically you might look like you're back in the land, which they are, he's saying, no, really, you need the Lord to come and bring you properly back into relationship with him. So it's as if you're still in exile spiritually, and now the Lord Jesus is here, who's going to bring you truly into uh, back to the homeland, back to the promised land of um, relationship with God. And so he goes out to the wilderness so this, just, is a, this is a bit of geography we need here. So the Jordan River goes right down the middle of Israel, but across the Jordan going east was where they came from. And they got to, to get into the Promised Land, you've got to cross over the Jordan heading west. So when they, when they conquered the land and Joshua came from Egypt uh, and the wilderness, they had to cross the Jordan to enter the land. And so mm. it's, the, it's the gateway. And so John says, let's go back out. We'll go outside into the wilderness and then we'll cross again through baptism. That's the gateway back into the land. So you're saying, yes, technically I live in the land, but really I'm, I'm back in the wilderness and I need to re-enter. Um, so interestingly, this first paragraph then isn't just telling us about who Jesus is. It's also telling us about what he's going to do if he's the one who brings people back from exile back into the promised land it's, it's almost like a return to Eden isn't it it's a return to God's presence Andrew some people might be thinking with their bible overview hat on I thought they came back from exile at the time of Ezra in the old testament and you know, they can't still be in exile now what do you mean they're coming back in time I mean they they're back in Israel aren't they with I mean how can the exile be ending now it seems a bit too late well this is um I think the point that uh, Mark's making is that there is 
yes a physical return but it's not a real return yet and you need uh you need a spiritual reconciliation not just a, a relocation of geography hmm. and that fits isaiah because isaiah 40 is the great prophecy of the end of the exile and mark saying it's now that it's about to happen yeah. okay so wow well, one paragraph in we just looked on the back because we've learned a lot about jesus and as you said, it's it's a voice. So the first voice is John the Baptist with a bit of help from Isaiah and Malachi. Um, do you want to tell us about the second voice, which is even more amazing? Yeah, so we're only um, nine or ten verses in and we're already skipped through G- the birth of Jesus and his upbringing. We go straight to the beginning of his ministry. He goes out for baptism and it says uh, the heavens were torn open The spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. So we've had the the voice of the prophet um, uh, John the Baptist and the prophets um, Isaiah and Malachi. But now we get God himself speaking from heaven. God doesn't do this very often. He did it at Sinai. He's going to do it again at the transfiguration where you just get the loud hailer approach where, look, I don't want you to miss this. And he does it now and he, he p- puts down the big finger and says, that one there, that's my boy. <laughs> this is my dearly loved son. This is your National Lottery illustration. This is not advocating the National Lottery on the on Grace Pod. It's a waste of your money. But uh, you were talking about that old advert right at the beginning. Yeah. So back in the 90s, it, it could be you and this huge golden you know, giant's hand would point from heaven and then the person who won the lottery was picked out out of all the millions and this is what's going on. God picks out Jesus and says, Yep, all these all these centuries there's been the search for the Son. Who is going to be the, the the true Son of God, the true Adam, the true David, the true Israel? He that's him. That's him. And um God says, I'm delighted in him. I'm so excited. I think one of the dangers of this grace point is we're going to want to say too many things because it's just excited by them, but I can't resist this. But uh, it might seem like, wow, there's just too much detail here. But I just wanted it as an illustration of how careful a writer Mark is. So he says that God tore open the heavens and spoke. And he doesn't need to use that verb. He could have just said, you know, God, the voice came from heaven or God parted the clouds and spoke. But he says, tore open the heavens quite a strange word it's the word for ripping open um why does he do that and i think even that choice of word is significant because at the beginning of the gospel god tears the heavens and comes down um with his voice and at the end of the gospel the temple curtain is torn open so that there's access to god and i think so he's used the same verb deliberately the beginning then the gospel for these two sort of heaven meets earth moments and then in doing so, he also is alluding to this great promise in Isaiah. We've already, we've already turned to Isaiah in our Bibles because Mark's told us once, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. And while we got Isaiah open, we discover just a few chapters later this, this prayer, oh, that you would rend the heavens or tear the heavens and that you would come down. You know, if only God would intervene down here on earth. And this is that intervention. Hmm. And I promise not to do that with every single word, <laughs> but I just it's too exciting to miss it out. There's, there's lots of great detail. So God has noticed Jesus' arrival and wants us to notice. Who else notices his arrival in verse 13? It's amazing, isn't it, verse 13? It's, also, it's sort of so matter-of-fact, just in two verses. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. 
he was with the world animals and angels were ministering to him so here's jesus you know he's he's begun his ministry he's announced that the kingdom's here and also he's about to announce the kingdom's here and john the baptist has, has baptized him and um immediately the holy spirit's here with him demons are there the satan is there tempting him angels are attending him wild animals are surrounding him you know this is not a, an average um, preparation for the launch of your of your career um i think we could go loads into the temptations couldn't we because you know luke does and matthew does and i think this is one of the ways where we've got to trust mark to choose what to select so he doesn't go into all the temptations you know in the way that luke parallels jesus with adam and jesus faithful where adam wasn't etc he doesn't do that he he, it's just enough for mark to tell you there's angels there there's demons there there's wild animals here the the spiritual temperature is raised the scene is set that's all he's trying to do here i think but um wild animals in the wilderness again it's just this place of exile thing so isaiah is full of this talk of being with the wild beasts in the wilderness and out of the presence of god and Jesus is there in this chaotic exile place, although he's there in the power of the Spirit with angels. Yeah, and and often the introduction to a, a book or a gospel sets a menu, and and then those things are developed later on. So mm. we, we'll see some how some of the themes we've already hit will get developed later in the book. Um, and here is one that we'll get uh, we'll see pretty quickly: is that Jesus arrives and there's immediate conflict, and especially conflict with evil spirits, unclean oh. spirits, Satan. Um, and we're going to see right from the beginning, uh, yeah, yeah he's, he enters into a battlefield and um, that's the shape of things to come. And actually that's the same as verse 14, isn't it? So after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And it's just a throwaway line, but it's a trailer of, we'll hear more about what happened to John the Baptist and how that foreshadows what's going to Jesus. That's going to be in chapter six. But for now, oh yeah, after John was arrested, throwaway line, Jesus arrives in Galilee. And then this final announcement, I guess you've had, so John the Baptist has announced it. Um, God himself, God the Father, has shouted it from heaven. The angels and Satan recognise it. And then finally Jesus himself proclaims it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And I suppose that's a heading as well, because repent and believe is a shorthand for the whole response to the news of Jesus King that, that Mark's going to spend the next 16 chapters telling us about. Yeah, and one of the things that this underlines, not just Jesus saying, yeah, I'm here, I'm the king that's been promised, um, but he's saying, with my arrival, everything's got to change. Um, you, you can't carry on as you were. Um, just as John, when he was trying to get people ready for the arrival of the king, he said, you've got to repent. He, he preached a baptism of repentance. So now when Jesus arrives, he says, you've got to reconfigure everything. Um, you've got to start again and you've got to repent. Um, get in step with this. You can't pretend it hasn't happened. And whilst, we, whilst it's going to be cataclysmic and very disruptive, it's also wonderfully good news. So repent and believe in the gospel. What's what's about to happen what this ministry of jesus is going to be hugely disruptive to the world everyone's got to take take account of it but it's going to be very sweet and beautiful and good and we should be looking this is kind of a a trailer of look out for what's to come because it's going to be very very good 
maybe people at the end of this first grace bit are feeling a bit overwhelmed. I mean, I, I think we've probably <laughs> said too much. But it's interesting that Mark begins with such a flurry of... Um, it's almost behind the scenes, you know, what does what does God say in the prophets, what's going on in, in the spiritual world. Um, it then is suddenly going to become very ordinary, Jesus walking along a beach, um, meeting some friends, calling some followers. But it's almost like Mark is lifting back the veil for the reader on something that is not clear yet to anybody actually down on the ground. I mean, it should be clear because if they were listening to the voice from heaven, etc. But it seems like we're privileged with extra information, like a lens to look at this, which no one else is going to realise. And um, I guess it always makes me think of the, you know, the question of sport, that old that old quiz show with Ian Batham, and I don't know if it's still around, so how long it ran for, but they, they always do this question, and then they showed you the answer at home first, and then the panellists had to figure it out. And it's almost like that, that Mark's saying, here's the answer, look away now if you don't want the spoiler, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess you know you might think theologically I get it Jesus the King, but what is that actually going to look like? Um, how are you going to prove to me that that's true? What what was that like actually down on earth with real people? And that that's what's next. Yeah. So this whets our appetite. It's the, it's the great trailer. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.